be saying something to you at the end of service, and so, um, but excited to be able to go and see my dad, and I've been thinking this morning about what I want to uh, encourage him with, and just some of the things I've seen in him, and so um, look forward to that, being specific about what I'm going to say to him. So I want to pray before we kind of wrap this message series up, so let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering all of us here this morning. Thank you for every person that you've brought. Lord, each person um, you value highly. Lord, you demonstrated that in the way that you sent your Son. While we were still sinners, you sent Jesus Christ to die for us. So thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for just the way that you love us, the way that you really do value us, and the way that you're working in our lives to really change us to become more and more um, like your son Jesus. And so I pray that, that uh, this morning, God, that you'd give us the ability to really listen and to understand what you have to say and help us to really um, not be distracted by everything else going on, things in our life, things on our schedules even later today. God, I just pray for this time, Lord, you'd protect this time, Lord. May, may you uh, really speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Help us to really understand how to respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we have been at this series for probably close to eight weeks now, looking at this theme of of warfare. And we started by just talking about how there's conflict in our world and there's certainly conflict in our lives. And so if you have decided to follow Christ, then you at some level have experienced opposition. And we find out in the Scripture that we have three enemies. We have the enemy of the flesh, the enemy of the world, and the enemy of the devil, Satan. And so... For the last um, five weeks now, we've been talking about this final portion of the opposition um, from the demonic realm, really looking at spiritual warfare. How does the enemy attack? How does he work against uh, us? Um, he, he, he works in different ways in the world. One of the things he does to the non-believing world, he blinds the non-believing world from learning about the truth of God. And so he blinds, before we knew Christ, personally, he blinded us from being able to discover that truth, and he works to just keep people in the dark. But for once a person commits their lives to Christ, then he works to um, discourage, set us back. He just does all sorts of things. And so we've been looking at this passage, talking about some of the different pieces of, of, of armor that he's provided to help us be victorious in this battle. And so if you'd like, you can follow along with this listening guide that's in your bulletin. There's also pins on the chair beside you. And so you can, you can follow along. Let's look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 uh, through 16. Just kind of reviewing what we've been looking at. Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Now, we've been highlighting the fact that the idea of standing is kind of one of the key themes of warfare. Stand your ground. Stand. Then he says in verse 14, Stand firm then with the belt of truth, Buckled around your waist, that's the first piece of armor, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, he says, then you take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So we've looked at these four different um, pieces of armor in those verses right there. And here are the schemes of Satan. You see these in your listening guide. You can fill these in. The first one is... Satan wants to confuse us. That's the first thing he schemes. One of his methods is 
confusion. He uses all sorts of words, all sorts of information. He sends our way to cloud our minds of what's really true. He wants to send additional content our way so that we would give in to false teaching, to empty philosophies. Um, and so we have to battle against this through using the belt of truth. We've established that the, the Word of God provides that standard of what is true, what is right. And so the, the belt of truth really is just having a, a firm conviction that the Word of God is true. The answers are there. He, he has given us the ability to understand His ways through the Word of God. And that helps us battle confusion. Second thing is the enemy schemes to accuse us. Meaning, whenever we screw up, whenever we mess up, whenever we fall into sin, he ramps up the accusation in our lives so that we will get beaten down through the accusations. We'll back off the front line of advancing the cause of Christ and we'll kind of wallow in guilt and shame. And this happens to us. Depending on what we've been involved in, we, we deal with a tremendous amount of accusation. And the way we battle against accusation is we use the breastplate of righteousness, which we talked about this a few weeks ago. It's admitting, you know what, I blew it. I am a sinner. All right, yes, I sinned. And, and I'm forgiven because of the righteousness of, not righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'm, I can't stand before God because of my own good works or my own life of good works. It's really, I can stand before God because of Jesus' good works, His perfect life, and His death on the cross that covered and paid the penalty of my sin. So we, we call that, you know, we, we, we wear the breastplate of righteousness. helps us deal with accusation. The third thing is, Satan wants to divide us. Confuse, accuse, I couldn't think of another ooze. So, he wants to divide us. Not really. That wasn't at all part of the plan. So, He wants to separate things. He wants to separate families. And he does. He wants to separate churches. And he does. He wants to, to get people to rally around groups, to split things. And, and he does that. And he sends people in. to, to he, he plants people, Scripture teaches, that he plants people in order to divide Groups And so we have to be aware of these schemes. Um, for this, we use the gospel of peace. We're ready to forgive people. We're ready to extend God's forgiveness to people. We're, we want to share God's forgiveness with people. And then the fourth thing is he wants to discourage us, which would basically prevent us from thinking we could go on. What we do in the, middle of, in the midst of discouragement is we hold up the shield of faith. Whenever we feel discouraged, whenever we're having tremendous doubt, we hold up the shield of faith. Basically, like a statement or a prayer, it's to say, God, um, He is faithful. My God is faithful. He will not rip me off. He's not going to abandon me. Though I'm discouraged, though I'm dealing with these thoughts of discouragement, my God is faithful. He's come through time and time again. And maybe it's to recall those times and to just thank Him for the ways you've seen Him come through. But we've been looking at these four things. These are all on our website, just these messages. But along with these schemes, Satan also does this. He wants to silence us in order to get us to quit. He wants to come against us with strong temptation. That's what this message is really about. Is He wants to come at us with strong temptation that we have no answer to. That we just get frozen and silenced. He tempts us in ways that almost freeze us in our tracks. We're not sure how to respond. We're not sure how to answer. We're not sure how to, what to do. And again, His goal is to, to knock us down through that temptation for us to cave into sin. To knock us down on the ground and to decide, I can't get back up. He wants to prevent us from advancing the cause of Christ. And so we battle this scheme this way, the very next verse, verse Ephesians 6.17. So he says, the next piece of armor, take the helmet of salvation and then the sword of the Spirit, two pieces of armor, which is the Word of God. So 
First, the helmet. In ancient armies, the helmet was the piece of the armor that identified which country the soldier was from. So here's some different images of, of some helmets along with this color, these colorful plumes that, that designate which army these warriors were fighting with. This, in a sense, served as their uniform. For us, like football helmets, you know, they have the, the emblem of the team, the mascot. But uh, for those ancient armies, this distinguished which army was, was who, so you didn't attack your, your guy. But the, the helmet, in a sense, it protects us from some things. So you see these in your listening guide. First, the helmet protects from attacks on our security in Christ. Helps us deal with the attacks that come against our security. Oftentimes, we, we wonder, even in our human relationships, I wonder if I'm okay with them. I wonder if they really care about me. I wonder if they love me. I wonder if they still love me. I wonder if they will still love me. One of the main strategies that the enemy uses is he feeds us thoughts that go something like this. Anyone who would be tempted like that can't be a real Christian. Or anyone who would cave into that, there's no way you could be a real Christian. How could, how could you do that? You're not really saved. God wouldn't save you in the end. Look at your life. And so we start getting fed these lies. And it's in those moments when we need to make sure that the helmet of salvation is on. We need to, we need to remember we're secure in Christ. We need to know first that we've committed our life to Christ as Lord, if you've done that. And then just declare your salvation in faith. I'm saved. I am saved through Christ's death for me. See, what that does is when we just kind of declare our salvation, it, it protects our mind, in a sense, from the thoughts that could, you know, the helmet protects from these crushing head blows of a sword, right? Not that I've ever endured that, but we've seen it on TV at least. But the helmet, it helps us protect against the security issue. Whenever, whenever we're taking the thoughts, and it seems like these blows to the head in a sense, we just have to remember, I am saved. I've been made right because of what Jesus did. Secondly, the, the helmet also gives us hope in the face of impossible odds. It gives us hope. Sometimes we have situations in our life that we, we cannot find a way out. It's like we hit the spot and there's, there's all these dead ends. And we're like, how do I, okay, I'm going to go this way. No, there's no, there's no hope there. Go this way, there's no hope there. And we, we look all around and it's impossible. And we're like, man, I, I'm done. I'm done. Thankfully, we follow the one who hung on a cross and died, and defeated the impossible odds that he was up against. See, for his disciples, from a human standpoint, from their viewpoint, they see Jesus die, suffer, and he actually dies. And they, then all hope is gone for them. They scatter. They don't know what to do. And, and they're buried at that moment in these impossible circumstances. And that's just like our lives. We have these things, these seasons in our life where we hit a dead end and we just don't know what we can what we can do. And what the helmet of salvation does is it helps us remember that God deals in the, in the realm of the impossible, in the miraculous. We follow the one who actually rose from the grave. It's never over for us, no matter how, how bad it really looks. We follow the one who provides hope beyond the impossible. And so we, in the midst of the battle, we have to quit doubting that, that God can't provide, but we have to call upon His power in the midst of the ongoing struggles. When an ancient soldier, when he thinks he's about done, if he's fighting in the battle, and he's, he's, he's shot with an arrow, and he's, he's stabbed, and he's, he thinks, okay, I'm done, I'm toast. He sees his, 
his, the rest of his force is going another direction, and he's just lying on a battlefield. He's got his helmet on. What, is, what does he usually do right before he dies? See this in movies. He takes his helmet off, doesn't he? He just takes his helmet off, and he's just like, run me through. You know, he just he gives up. And see, this is kind of what it's like when we're in battle. We need to keep the helmet on. Even when we're in this impossible situation where we're thinking, I'm through. There's no way out. There's no way I can get through this. We need to keep the helmet of salvation on. Protecting our thoughts. Protecting the thoughts that run through our mind. Don't give up. Don't give in to, to, the, to the tactic to get you to quit from the enemy. You may be in a process of change right now. God's working this process of change in you. Because he promises to, to, to work a process of change in us through the course of our life. And he wants to use the struggles that, that you're going through and the trouble that you're going through to build your faith if you won't quit. So, so don't quick up. Don't give up. Don't take the helmet off, though it may feel like ah, there's, there's no hope here. Don't give up on your, your marriage. Don't give up on the financial situation you're in. Don't give up on being a help to other people, though you might feel like, man, this is just not worth it. Don't give up. Jesus, he showed us how to take up the helmet of salvation. Look at what Hebrews 12 writes. Author of Hebrews, he writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, meaning there's people that didn't quit. This is referring to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is this great chapter of the Bible on the, the men of faith, or the, actually the people of faith, who were people, people that didn't quit. They decided to, to press on amidst impossible circumstances. So the writer says, Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses or finishers, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Then he says in verse 2, Fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and the perfecter. Or the word finisher is really what it means. He's completed our faith. Who for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, Consider Him who endured. See, we're to just keep remembering. Jesus was in these impossible circumstances, but He endured till the end. He endured opposition from sinful men so that, you know, we look to Him so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. See, Jesus had more reasons to quit than I've ever had. He had more reasons to quit than all of us will ever have. He was tortured. He was ridiculed. He was subjected to a slow, painful death. And he didn't deserve it. He was tempted to quit. He asked God for another way. But in his mind, he settled the issue of, I will not quit. I'll endure. And because Jesus endured, it, we can now wear the helmet of salvation. We can be assured of our we can have a confidence in our faith because of what he did. Endurance is really the key to battling when this type of pressure comes on. Look at this quote again from the Screwtape Letters. This is written from a book where this author, C.S. Lewis, is writing. He's writing from the standpoint of two demons. One demon, a chief demon, is, is talking to a lower demon, teaching him how to, um, to work against this Christian patient. And so... He says, exaggerate the weariness, this is again from a demonic standpoint, exaggerate the weariness by making him think it will soon be over. For men usually feel that a strain could have been endured no longer at the very moment it is ending. Or when they think 
it is ending. So he's saying, push the limits on this guy. The thing to avoid is total commitment. Whatever he says, let his inner resolution be not to bear whatever comes to him, but to bear it for a reasonable period. And let the reasonable period be shorter than the trial is likely to last. It need not be much shorter in attacks on patience, chastity, and fortitude. The fun, he says, is to make the man yield just when, had he known, had he but known it, relief was almost in sight. This is just tempt him that the finish line is right there. You know, it, it, he basically, the, the tactic here is to get us to quit. He's wanting to wear us down. He's wanting to get us to, to think, I, I can't go any further. Yeah, you're right, you can't. That's, what he, that's the lie. Okay, I can go one more week. But, but if, I, if I don't get the relief I need, then, yeah, that's right. You give God a week. God doesn't come through in a week. And so there's this exaggeration of our experience that we go through in life. And the enemy, he's just trying to wear us down. But see, Jesus, his joy was in the future. If Jesus didn't go through the agony of the cross, he would have never experienced the joy. And it's the same for us. There's some difficult situations we go through. And when we collapse and just cave in a temptation, what, is, what happens is we miss out on the joy that God intends. Jesus kept moving forward towards the cross, and he trusted God for God's perfect timing to deliver him. That's what he did. For us, the victory, it comes after we continue to trust Christ and just keep enduring, knowing and trusting God. God, you know the timing of when you're going to relieve the pressure of this situation. It may not come for months. It may not come for years. But if we stop moving forward, we get to the point to where we miss out on what God wanted to give, on the relief or the, his, his power that he, he wanted to provide. Endurance is something that God wants to work in to develop real character. God promises to bless those who decide to be people who will endure. This is one of the things God blesses, endurance. So this whole area of the helmet of salvation requires that we endure to the end. And we just we wear the helmet no matter how bad it gets. We just declare, I'm one of God's. I'm on His team. I'm in His army. And my God is the one who... who can deal in the realm of the impossible. I will not give up on this situation, this relationship. I'm not going to give up. The second piece of armor, and really the last piece of armor that we're introduced to in this passage, is the Bible. God's Word is the weapon that helps us counter the attack. So it says, in in that later part of that, uh, verse 17 says, and the sword of the Spirit. He says, take the helmet of salvation, and then take the sword of the Spirit, which is... The Word of God, the Bible. The sword of the Spirit, it's the main offensive weapon that we use. It's the, it's, the, it's the weapon that we use to make progress when we're under attack. An ancient soldier would never go to battle with just a belt, a breastplate, and a helmet, and, and you know, the shoes, the protecting his shoes. And, you know, what's he going to do without his sword? He's got everything. He's just like, tink, tink. You know, and he, he's got his belt, and maybe he'd try to hit the guy with the belt or something. I don't know, but... You'd need the sword in order to advance. You'd need the sword to take ground, to advance, defense, and also offense. We should never go into this life, go into the battle of this life, without a pattern of learning, mulling over, really meditating on what God's Word says, memorizing it, committing it to memory, internalizing it. We need to know it. Look at this quote. It says, The better you know... The Word of God, the easier it will be for you to, to detect Satan's lies and reject his offers. The more you know the Word of God, the more you, you, 
not only is it trustworthy, but the more you just you recognize it. The more you get into it, the more you recognize. It's like they say of bank tellers. They're so used to handling the real thing that when they come across the counterfeit, they can just feel something different about this. If we're, if we're in the habit of knowing God's Word and getting into it, taking it into our lives, when the counterfeits come, we recognize there's something not right about that. That doesn't square with what God has said in the Bible. There's power in speaking God's Word, for one. Isaiah 55, verse 11, reminds us of this, where God says this, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire, and it will achieve the purpose for which it was sent. The words of the Bible, they're the only thing that God gives us to use to attack the enemy. God's word is powerful because it's eternal. The Bible itself, when the word of God is eternal. There's many verses that, that actually say that very thing. The word of God will, will last forever. It's eternal. And, and Satan's accusations, all of his weapons, all of his schemes of the, of the enemy, those are all temporary. So his, his schemes and accusations are temporary. God's words are eternal. Satan's schemes won't last. His divisions won't stand. They won't last. His flaming arrows, they will burn out. Satan himself is living on borrowed time. If you try to fight him with your own power, though, if you try to fight him with your own strength, your own good, positive thoughts and encouraging words that you just draw from yourself, you, you lose the battle. That's not going to be enough. The Bible is what God has given as our weapon in the daily struggle. In fact, Jesus showed us this. Jesus showed us how to use the sword when we're tempted. It's found in Matthew chapter 4. Look at what happens. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. Stop there for a second. Then He had just been baptized. He's just about to start His public ministry. There's really no... Sign of Jesus up to this point. There's a couple. He's born. There's a scene. And then there's a scene as a, as a, as a, a younger boy or a, a boy. And then there's this gap of years where he's just being trained. He says he's growing in wisdom and stature. And it says that, but there's this mystery about what's going on. All of a sudden at year 30, Jesus appears on the scene. He's baptized by John the Baptist. He's about to start his public ministry. He's about to have a three-year public ministry. And so, after the baptism, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. I think this is really interesting to note. Look at what it says. Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Those, those two phrases in my mind conflict with each other. They make me a little bit uncomfortable. He was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. I don't know if that bothers you, but... so. It was, in a sense, within the will of God, this test, these temptations were within the boundaries set by God. Martin Luther, the great leader of the Protestant Reformation, said of the devil, he said, the devil is God's devil. The devil is God's devil, meaning he never operates outside the Lord's decree. He is powerful, but God sets the limits on what he can do. This encounter with the devil is within the plan of God. So Jesus, he's led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Then verse 2 says, after fasting, 40 days, he goes without food. 40 days, 40 nights, he was hungry. I mean, can you imagine? I did a juice fast for like four days. But that's juice. Like you get, you know, he's, he's, you know, without. He doesn't have a juicer in the desert, you know. The tempter, Satan, comes to him and it says, if you're the Son of God, if you're really the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. You know, there's plenty of stones on the ground. 
Satan, he's tempting him towards satisfying himself in the physical realm rather than trusting God in the spiritual realm. He's saying, hey, choose sight over faith. That's the temptation. Verse 4, Jesus answered, he said, it is written. Now that's the phrase that is really important. Jesus said, it is written. We need to learn what is written. Like if there's an idea here is, Jesus keeps going back to this, it is written, it is written. You're going to see it come up over and over. He knows what was written. We need to know what has been written in the Bible. Jesus said, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you can back up a word there, or a phrase, or a screen. (laughs) That line at the bottom where it says, but on every, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that Greek word is actually the word rhema. And it means a specific word. A specific statement in a sense. The word is, this word is different than another Greek word that shows up and that translates for word as well. The other word is logos. And the word logos kind of has the idea of the entirety in a sense. Like Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is living and active. That, when it's talking about the word of God, it's a different The word there in Greek is logos. It means the entirety in a sense. All the word of God is living and active. But this right here, this this means the specific statement. The specific word in a sense. Jesus is actually teaching us something about how to battle against the enemy using the sword of the Spirit. He uses a specific verse. Here's the verse. Man does not live on bread alone. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. See, the Father's will was for Jesus to be hungry in the desert... And Satan's suggestion or his temptation was to satisfy his hunger contrary to the will of God. And Jesus knew the word, specifically called a specific word to battle. Verse 5 happens again. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. Now it's interesting, Satan uses Jesus' strategy here against him. He says, hey, isn't it written... He will command His angels concerning you and and they will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against stone. Jesus answered him, It is written. It is also written. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is Deuteronomy 6.16. First He quotes Deuteronomy 8.3. Now Deuteronomy 6.16. He knew the Word. He, He spoke the specific statement of the Word of God. He's relying on the power of God to see Him through. Verse 8. Again, the devil took Him a third time to a very high mountain and showed Him all the kings of the world and He said... And all their splendor, all this I will give to you, he said, if you will just bow down to me, bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, once again, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This is from Deuteronomy 6.13. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. See, Satan, he's tempting different angles. Jesus, he's using statements from the Old Testament. He's, he's either taking a statement or a specific idea from the Old Testament and he's, he's swinging the sword at the enemy in that moment. Very, very important thing to understand. Sometimes when we're being tempted, we rely on prayer and we don't use the word. And I think there's a pattern of using word first, then prayer. So even Ephesians 6.17, the, the, this piece of armor says, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The very next verse says, And pray in all occasions. It's talking about using prayer in the Spirit in all occasions, but it's word prayer, not just prayer. And then, please, God, get me out of this temptation. It's really relying on the Word of God and then asking God, agreeing with Him in prayer and asking God to deliver you. 
Look at this quote from Adam Clark. Adam Clark was a British Methodist theologian. He said, An ability to quote this on proper occasions, and especially in times of temptation and trial, has a wonderful tendency to cut in pieces the snares of the adversary. This is what Jesus is trying to teach us. When we quote Scripture, when we memorize and then swing the sword at, when we're being tempted, when we actually cite a verse or quote a verse out loud, It's not like the verse itself has a magical kind of power like an incantation. What it is is the power comes when it's spoken by a person who actually is building their lives on the belief that this is true and they're believing that God is going to deliver them. The power comes when it it comes from a person who really believes God will deliver me through this truth, through His power, through His Word. This is what Jesus is teaching us. Here's some suggestions. If you battle with certain... Issues that come up. Here's one suggestion for dread. Like, if you're really dreading something that's coming up in life, maybe you're not sure if you can do it or how you're going to do it. Maybe you have to have a really hard conversation. Maybe you're going to have to do something just that seems impossible if you're dreading it. Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. That's the idea of dread. When we get terrified, we're dreading something. He says, do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. See, that brings confidence for us when we're in the moment. But we have to swing the sword of the Spirit. We have to say, God said this. I'm not to be terrified. I'm not to be discouraged. I know, I know who goes with me. You see, the, the enemy, he wants to just to, to bring strong temptation so that we'll be frozen and not have an answer. Not know what to say, not know how to reply, so we feel like we're just being led to, to sin. But that's not true. We have the sword of the Spirit. There's other ways we can get attacked. There's doubts, anxieties. Anxiety is one, Psalm 55, 22. Cast your care on the Lord, and He will sustain you. Peter writes about this in the New Testament. Peter knew the Word, and so he's able to say this in the New Testament to the church as well. The Bible, the authors that God used to write, you know, the New Testament, they, they relied on the Word of God. They knew that was the key to victory. Accusing thoughts. If you, if you give in to temptation, you fall into sin. You know, it's easy to just beat ourselves up and to condemn ourselves. Then we're reminded we need to swing the sword of the Spirit. Romans 8.1 Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not condemned. We don't have to give in to the accusations. We can just, again, just rely on God's deliverance. Doubt. See, God wants to use all these different opportunities that come up, whether it's temptation or whether we're just battling, even with our flesh, for us to swing the sword and to counter the schemes that come against us. Here's a project to get real specific on this. You can pull, you can work through this. I really encourage you this week, if you'd apply this week's message, this is what I would do, is I'd work through this portion. What is my most common temptation? What is it? What is it I'm dealing with right now? Is it one of those areas I had listed? Is it, is it another area? And then I would, I would write out three verses. I'd find three verses to help you memorize and then counter the temptation so you can swing the sword when you are in battle. A great resource would be to talk to a small group leader or talk to one of our leaders at the guest information table. Um, Just if you need help coming up with some verses to battle what you're specifically facing right now in your life. I want to wrap things up with a video clip of Jesus' temptation in the desert. Um, We looked at this passage, this is Matthew 4, where he encounters the the devil in the wilderness. I want to watch this. This is from the Bible miniseries. Now, just so you know, it is an adaptation, and so um, this isn't you know, really caught on video from back then, okay? This is an adaptation. It was recently released, you know, it's got some Hollywood movie stuff in it as well, but 
Um, it's an adaptation, so you can't just be like, hey, he didn't say it exactly like I just read it on the screen. It's an adaptation. So just there's your disclaimer on that. So, um, so we're going to roll this clip. Let's watch this, and I'm just going to kind of wrap things up. And then the band, they're going to go ahead and make their way up. Starts with the baptism. After his baptism, Jesus enters the wilderness. For 40 days, his spirit is tested, preparing him for the challenges to come. Crucify him! 
from me, Satan. I worship the Lord, my God, and serve Him only. when the enemy comes at us, again, his aim is to silence us, is to freeze us with, so that we don't have an answer. Jesus, he gave the example on how to battle, how to remain standing using the word of God in the battle. We have to swing the sword. We can't, when we're being tempted, when, we, when we're feeling, you know, when we're feeling even the past just gripping us and we feel like, oh, I'm going down that road again, you know, we get frozen. We have to, we can't just say, God help me. You know, what we want to do is we want to rely on what God has, what, we, what we've internalized, what we know is true of God. And so this is why it's so important to, to take this seriously. Understand, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's how I need to battle. Because we need to swing the sword of the Spirit in the moment. We can't just rely on ourselves to get out of the, the, the difficulty. We need to rely on God and His power. Today's Father's Day. Um, dads, you know, I don't know what your kids are planning to do or what they've already done to, to say thanks to you. Um, for mine, my kids, you know, wrote a, you know, some nice things on a card and things they appreciate about me. And um, You know, one of the things that if I could, like, speed ahead to the end of my life, and one of the things I would love to hear them say is my dad followed the Lord Jesus with his whole heart. I'd like for them to pick that up. That's I want them to be come strong men who will follow after the Lord. Like Hebrews 12, what it's saying is, fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. I want to be one who's fixed my eyes there. And there's all sorts of things that distract my eyes away from finishing and keep my eyes on Him. But let's be men who will do that. Let's be men who will fix our eyes on Jesus. Because He shows us how to battle. He shows us how to live the life that we are called to live. And fathers, dads, our children need to see that we're going to keep moving forward. This life is tough. We get knocked down. They need to see us keep battling. Our, our, our wives need to see us moving forward. Our congregation needs to see that we're being men, not boys, but men who will lead with courage and with strength. So don't quit. Don't give up. I want to pray for you, um, men. And I'd like to pray for all the dads. I also want to pray for any, any man here and any, any man in training. So if you're, a, if, you know, if you're a young man, a teen, I'd like to pray for you as well. So... Men, if you'd stand, and I want to pray for all of you. Let's pray. God, I just commit these men to you. Commit them to you. They're, they're men that they're here because you're working in their lives. All of our stories are very different. But God, we want to know that after our life is over, it was not a waste. We don't want to just pass time. We don't want to spin our wheels doing things that are not worth anything. We don't want to give ourselves to efforts that will fade and that will crumble even in short period of time. God, help us to give our lives to things that really matter, to give our lives to things that have eternal value and significance. Lord, help us to get to know you. Lord, help, help us to be men who will just get after it, build convictions, be men who are strong, who are courageous, and who are obedient. 
Help us to be a church with men who, who set a real high pace um, for the next generation. Bless these guys. Bless these, even the men in training. Help them to grow to be strong men who will do great things for the kingdom of God. And help those who are, who are older, God, who are nearing the finish line, Lord, help them to finish well. God, we just commit these men to you. Thank you for the investment that they're making in things for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Usher.